Good morning, church. Good morning. Y'all, I think that I get to come up here and preach the second sermon of the morning. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Praise God for these stories. This is your first time at Connection Church. Let me say welcome. We're so glad that you're here supporting those who've been baptized or just checking us out. I'm so glad that you're here. And we're uh, going through the book of Romans. And today, Romans 2, 1 through 11, our passage has been read for us. You know, when Jesus came to earth, he did many and crazy things that changed the world forever. But you know that the year 2023 is dependent on the coming of Christ? We changed the way we date things because Christ came. Does anybody know how we dated things before Christ came? We call it BC, right? And it kind of confused me in history class because you're not counting up before Christ. We're counting down, right, uh, with the years and things that happened. But then when Christ came, we started counting over at zero, one, two, three, and now we're in 2023. 20, and I was just thinking about that idea, BC and AD. And did you hear it in the stories today? You hear it in the stories today. We heard some BC sort of things. My life was dark. I was struggling with this, struggling with anger, struggling with sin, all these kind of things. Hard things happened in my life. But then did you hear the AD? Did you hear the after Christ? Did you hear the redemption? Did you hear the forgiveness? Did you hear the identity that we've heard from so many people, witnesses this morning, say, this is what Christ has done in my life? I'm preaching the second sermon this morning, and I recognize that with the duration of this sermon. I promise you that. But what I'm going to do today is I'm going to plead with you you're still in the BC, there is a way to life. And I want to show you this morning the way to the AD. I want to show you the way to Christ. And in Romans chapter 1, that's what we just came out of studying through the book of Romans, Paul has started to explain this concept to us and this idea to us. Romans 1.16, he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. And so he could have started telling us about the gospel. In that BC kind of picture, though, he told us, uh, he's telling us in Romans 1 what it's like, and it matches those stories. Before Christ, things, things aren't good. And we're in the middle of that today. We've got to understand the bad news in, sto- in order to understand the good news. But there is a glimpse of good news. And I don't know if you noticed when Luke was reading, there's a lot here about judging one another and how we're foolish and storing up wrath for ourselves. And so like, oh no, here we go. Another hard passage. And it is, but there's a silver lining and it's in this passage. And I want to show it to you. It's in verse seven. Can we throw verse seven on the screen? This is what Paul's telling us in the midst of how we've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and and we're terrible people who don't deserve any of God's goodness. We're told that at the end of time, God will give to people, some people, to those who by perseverance and doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality eternal life. Paul's telling us that on the last day when we stand before Christ, some people will be given glory, honor, and immortality. And I think what he's doing here in this passage is he's saying kind of all of those three things bundled together is eternal life. Jesus was defined the essence of eternal life in John chapter 17. He said that this is eternal life, that they may know you, that we might have a relationship with God. And here are three incredible benefits of knowing our God, glory, honor, immortality. Okay, who wants that? There we go. We got some people who are like, maybe I shouldn't raise my hand. That sounds selfish. Hey, you can raise your hand. If you want that, Christ offers it for you. He offers it freely for you. Christ promised those who believe in him will be glorified. They will be honored before the Father, and they will live forever. 
I want that, church. And I want to tell you this morning, it's okay to want that. I want it for me. I want it for you. And here's, cra- here's the crazy thing we're talking about. God wants it for you because he sent Jesus. But in this passage, Paul is telling us three things that'll trip us up on the way to getting there. Three enemies or three pitfalls of things that will stop us for accepting the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to look at these three things today. The first thing we got to stop doing if we want to receive the gospel that produces eternal life in our lives is we got to stop judging one another. We got to stop judging one another. Read the first three verses with me, thinking about that point. Therefore, you have no excuse, every one of you who passes judgment. For in that which you judge one another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. And we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. But do you suppose this, O man, when you pass judgment on those who practice such things and do the same yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Beginning in chapter 2, Paul is going to address a specific group of people. And they're Jews. Okay, when Paul was writing to the Romans, there were two major audiences he was thinking about. There were the Jews and the Greeks. And he mentioned them later in the passage. The Jews were the ones who kind of, they knew who Yahweh was. They had the Old Testament. They always went to the synagogue. I think in 2023 terms, they were the church people. And then if you weren't a Jew, you were a Greek. You were a Gentile. And these are the people who didn't know who Yahweh was, probably worshiped another God. They didn't have any idea. They're walking in church like, how do I dress? What do I say? Do I shake hands? Like, like what do I do? Just absolutely clueless about anything culturally about God. And these Jews, Paul's going to call them out in chapter 2. And I would like to say in 2023, he's calling out the church people. Because he's afraid they heard Romans 1 And at the end of it, they didn't realize it was about them. That somebody could get through Romans 1. If you remember, we were told we were all created to glorify God. We traded the glory of God for idols. God gave us over to dark, sinful desires, and we have worshipped them instead of the Creator. He's calling out people in chapter 2 and saying, if you don't think that's you, then you're probably judging somebody else. You're probably thinking, oh, I'm, I'm a good guy. You know, I go to church sometimes, and you know, I, I know a few Bible verses, and you know, I got a Black Connection Church Athens t-shirt, so I'm, I'm doing pretty good, Liam. Thanks for asking. I, I'm okay. And he says, don't you know, foolish person, that when you hear the word of God and you don't receive it and reflect on it, but you deflect it to other people, you are condemning yourself. That's easy to do, isn't it? It's easy. The word of God hits your heart. You hear something in scripture and you can either receive it and reflect on it and think about what does this mean for my life, but it's easy about mm, third row, mm, uh, they need to hear this. <laughs> it's easy to do that. It's a defense mechanism. But he says, don't you know when you judge them, you're actually condemning yourself. Has, has anybody ever heard this before? When you point the finger, there's three fingers pointing back at you. I'm like, okay, I don't know. I, when there's like two going forward for me and three back. I don't know. But that's the point. We can trick ourselves into thinking we're good. We can trick other people into thinking we're good. But he tells us right here, God is not fooled. Verse three, you will not escape the judgment. God. There will be a lot of people in hell who think they were good. There will be a lot of people in heaven who know they're bad. And that's what he's telling us here. We got to stop judging 
one another. We look at these passages and think, oh, this is not about me. I don't judge anybody. I don't uh, worship idols, all these things, but it's just so easy for us to do it. First step to believing in the gospel is to own your condition and to say, I hear the truth of God's word, and I have fallen short. And when you get to that place, we stop deflecting the word of God, but we receive it for ourselves. God can do some amazing th- things, church. We've got to stop judging one another. The second thing we've got to stop doing is we've got to stop abusing the kindness of our God. We've got to stop abusing the kindness of our God. That's what it says in verses 4 and 5. Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and his tolerance and his patience, not knowing that God's kindness leads you to repentance? But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. So we got this church person, right? They're having a pretty good life. Everybody would say they're, they're doing pretty good. They're judging other people, but they're like, I'm just praying for them. Like judging people in the form of prayer requests, right? I'm just so concerned about them. They're doing all these things, right? And so we're deflecting the word of God, but we're also abusing the kindness of God. What does that look like? Just think about your life. You know, we sing a song called Goodness of God here a lot. And it's one of the best sung songs by all of you. I mean, we just, all my life, you've been faithful. You've been so good. And we'll just sing it out together. We know God has been good in our lives. Look at, look at all the blessings he's given you. Look at all the things he's given the people he's put in your life. God has been so, so good. But this passage right here is telling us that God's kindness toward you is for a purpose. You know, I use that word abuse. Abuse is a word that literally means to use something the wrong way or to use it for the wrong purpose, to abuse something, to use it for the wrong purpose. What was the purpose that he gave us here in verse 4? He said, Don't, do you not think richly of the riches of his kindness, tolerance, patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? There's a reason you woke up this morning. There's a reason your heart is beating right now, and that is for you to repent. What does that mean? To turn from sin and to turn to God, to stop judging, to stop deflecting, to stop uh, putting it off for another day because God has given you a blessing. He's given you a chance right now to accept him and to turn from sin. I don't know about you, but I've been given one chance. I've been given two chances. I've been given a thousand chances. He is so good to us. But we abuse the kindness of God, and we misread the kindness of God. Have you ever done this before? Oh, man, everything's going so well. I've got a you know, girlfriend, wife, everything's good, money in the bank, good health. I did that. I did that. It's for me. And so I don't need God right now because I'm doing just fine. We don't recognize the source of our blessings, and so we abuse the God who gives us the blessing. He says kindness here. We get a couple of descriptions of how good our God is. His kindness, his tolerance, his patience. You know, in the Old Testament, there was this image. I love the Hebrew language. Well, kind of, a little bit love the Hebrew language, and I'll tell you one reason why. Maybe there's a lot of reasons to hate it, because I took it in school. That's all the reason I'm saying that, but there's an image of this idea of kindness of our God. And, and the, the Hebrews, they were very visual with how they used words. But they used, had a phrase in the Old Testament, it was slow to anger, right? Have you ever heard that before? Our God is slow to anger, abounding in love. And that word slow to anger literally, literally meant that God was long-nosed. 
I think that's interesting, which I don't think I'd take that as a compliment, Lord, right? Like, I don't think that's a compliment that God's long nose. But what they meant by that is they saw anger and wrath, like, in the face, right? Somebody just turns really red, and they're like a volcano, right? And I guess they understood that anger coming out through the nose. And they said, our God does not just pop off at people. He is kind. He is tolerant. He is patient. God has a long nose. And we'll stand before him one day, and we will not say, you're unfair, God. God, you should have given me more chances. I believe when we stand before him and see him, we're going to say, wow, look at that nose. (laughs) He's been so good. And there's a purpose for that goodness. Not just for you to have a fun, comfy life. It's for us to repent. God's described in verse 4. We're described in verse 5. But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. He says, because we abuse the, the grace of God and we, we continue to abuse his kindness by continuing in sin instead of turning to him, he says, don't you know, you can't escape the wrath of God. There will be a reckoning for this. In the Old Testament, God was called slow to anger, which means he was long-nosed. Anybody know in the Old Testament? The people of Israel were called stubborn. And there was an imagery for that. It was stiff-necked. Stiff-necked. Our God is long-nosed. He is kind with us, but we all have a stiff neck. Any stubborn people in the house? I think there are more stubborn people than want glory, honor, and immortality. So we'll have to work on that. This is me. This is you, church. He gives us one chance, two chances, a thousand chances because we are stubborn. And I don't want to miss out on the blessings of God because of my stubbornness. There's one more thing we got to stop doing. The gospel is going to be powerful in our lives. And if we see in verses 6 through 11, it is trusting in our performance. We got to stop, we got to stop judging one another. We got to stop abusing the kindness of God. And finally, we got to stop trusting in our performance. In verse 6, he tells us about that judgment day of God. we got to have that that mindset, right, that I'm going to die or Jesus is going to come back, and I'm going to stand before him. And he says, don't you know, in verse 6, that on that day, he will render or he will give to each person according to his deeds. I think some of us think that God's not about works, that God's going to get on judgment day and just be like, man, it's not really about works. I want you to know on judgment day, it's going to be about works. Our God is holy. And he does not accept people who have sin in their lives. And we try to like navigate that with the gospel. And we try to skirt around that with the gospel. But we need to come to the place and say, when I stand before him and I'm trusting in my performance, God is not going to be accepted with that. It's not going to be I was a pretty good person or I went to church or I did more good things than bad things. God is looking for perfection. And all of us have fallen short of that, not by like an inch, but like, 10 miles. (laughs) And in the message of the gospel, I want to remind you what Paul said in Romans 1.16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because in that message about Jesus and his work, the righteousness of God is revealed. What he's talking about when he says the righteousness of God, he's saying that perfect work is offered to you and to me in the message of the gospel. It's going to be about works, church, on judgment day. And so you better stop trusting in yours, and you better start falling on your face in faith before Jesus. 
If I get before God, I'm going to say, hey, I plead the blood. It's about the work of Christ. We've got to stop trusting in our performance. And he says, don't you know, you're, there's no way around it. There's no way around it. Look at verse 7. He said, he's going to give us according to what we've done to those who by perseverance and doing good seek for glory and honor, immortality, eternal life. Some will be given eternal life. But then to those who are, verse 8, selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, wrath, and indignation. And he says, there will be tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does evil. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. I want to say to the church person and to the non-church person. And then verse 10, but glory and honor and peace to everyone who does good. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For there is no partiality with God. Praise God. He is not a respecter of persons. He is not a respecter of persons. And we're going to keep diving in all of this to the book of Romans. But he's going to continue to tell us. God shows no favoritism, and all of us have fallen short of his glory except for one, except for one person. His name is Jesus Christ. And the plea of Romans is get out of Adam and get out of the sin nature, and by faith, get into Christ. Come one with Christ. How do we do that, church? We do it the way Christ taught us. Jesus Christ came to earth. He lived a perfect life. He, he did the work. Every time I've fallen into sin, every time I've judged somebody else, Christ didn't do that. He lived perfectly, perfect obedience. And the one person who did not deserve death was brutally murdered for you and for me. And we're told that if we believe in him by faith and we turn from our sins, the work of Christ will be applied to my life and to yours. It'll be credited to your account. I don't even want to put a dollar amount on it. We win the lottery spiritually in Christ. Why? Because on that cross, he was paying for my sin. He was paying for my weakness. He was paying for my rebellion. I ask you this morning, church, are you trusting in your performance? Or have you realized your condition and surrendered your life to Christ? And I love just hearing 10 stories this morning of people again and again have been telling us, it's not me, it is what Christ has done. I'm almost done. I promise. Promise. I want you to think about those three things. Can we put the three points up? Just kind of start with one and go through. First one, judging one another. What is the root sin of judging one another? What's really at the heart? What's wrong with us when we judge one another? Somebody said it. Pride. Pride. I'm going to push this person down so I can build myself up. I don't want to hear about the word of God for me because I want to keep my pride. How smart people. All right, number two. What's the root sin in abusing the kindness of God? Y'all did get on the first one. It's pride. It's pride. Because remember I said if we abuse it, we misread the kindness of God. We say, I did that. Huh, that's cool. We'll get number three. Trusting in our performance. <laughs> I can't make a hard test. I just can't do it. I had three points this morning, but I could really only have one. Crucify your pride and come to Jesus. Crucify your pride and come to Jesus. And when you do, you will be liberated from your sin. You'll be liberated from your ego and you'll be able to come into a community of people who as one will say, I'm not okay. 
and I've fallen short, and I have sinned, and I can't do this on my own. But I'm going to get with them, and we're going to walk together. We're going to seek glory, honor, and immortality together, walking hand in hand with Jesus, and we're going to worship him. There's nothing greater. It's the greatest joy of my life to be a part of a church with people willing to admit we're sinners. God has saved us. Amen? I'm going to ask the band if they'll come up. And I'm going to share one more example to kind of drive this home. And this is from the world of sports. So I think some of y'all appreciate this. If I was talking to you about the Georgia game, and I said, that was an ugly game. What would I mean when I say it was? Yeah. What, <laughs> what would I mean by that? I would mean something along the lines of, well, we won the game, but the, the score was close, or maybe our offense looked terrible. There were a lot of turnovers. And then sometimes we talk about the ugliness of the game, if it was, if it was a pretty game, if it was an ugly game. But then in that conversation, if you're talking about Georgia fan, what would we normally say? I would rather win ugly than lose pretty. That's what we'd say. Let's put that with our walk with Christ for just a minute. James 4, 6 says, God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. And we need to be a church and a people individually who say, I would rather win ugly in the tears and the repentance and the walking and the accountability and the, the being open and honest with one another than lose pretty. I've lived life losing pretty. So con concerned with what people thought of me and keeping it all together. The gospel is good news for the people who said, I would rather lose, I would rather win ugly than lose pretty. And I pray that would be our story, church. If you want to talk to somebody today about what it means about receiving that message of the gospel in your life and placing your faith in Jesus, we want to give you an opportunity to do that. And we always kind of do it here, but there's stuff going on here. So we're actually going to do it here. Is that cool? We'll be in this corner. We have some elders here, some people who could talk with you. So we're going to stand and sing. If you want to connect with somebody and say, hey, I just want to talk about what it means to put my faith in Jesus, we could talk with you right here. The altar will be open. Again, stuff going on here. So maybe kind of over here, however you need to respond. Let's do that as we sing. Amen. I love you, church. Let's pray. We'll stand and pray. That's good. <laughs> Father, the gospel is good news. It's good news. So for people who are, who are willing to say, yeah, I'm ugly and I'm sinful. And I would rather win ugly than lose pretty. So Father, I just pray you would give someone today the courage to stand and to say, I need Jesus. God, you are our only hope. And we see our sin, we see who you are. God, we just submit ourselves to you. Thank you for these people. Thank you for this time, God. Would you be glorified in this place? We lift you high. In Jesus' name, amen.